Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The first African climate summit was held in Kenya, with nations calling on wealthy nations to assist them in developing a green economy. They also discussed adapting to the changing climate, conserving natural resources, and getting beyond endless debt. The African continent is experiencing the most extreme climate change while only contributing 3% to the man-made sources of global warming. Part of the final declaration calls for a global carbon tax regime and to reform the international financial institutions. Activists called carbon credits a get-out-of-jail-free card for the world's biggest polluters. The Mexican Supreme Court ruled that abortion is not a crime, requiring all federal health care services to offer abortions to anyone requesting them. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle Africa's first climate summit has wrapped up with a call for rich countries to do more to help the continent develop a green economy. Leaders meeting in Nairobi secured $23 billion in green energy commitments from governments, banks and private industry. How to adapt to increasingly extreme weather, conserve natural resources and source the funding needed to do so. Those were the key themes of the three-day Africa Climate Summit in Kenya. It ended with African leaders signing the so-called Nairobi Declaration. It sets out a common climate action agenda for the continent and will form the basis of Africa's negotiating position at the COP28 summit in November. In it, African leaders are demanding no less than a socio-economic sea change. We demand a fair playing ground for our countries to access the investment needed to unlock their potential and translate it into opportunities. We further demand a just multilateral development finance architecture to liberate our economies from odious debt and onerous barriers to necessary financial resources. Africa is the continent most affected by climate change despite contributing the least to global warming and yet accessing the financial means to combat its impact is largely out of Africa's reach. That was also lamented by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres who spoke at the summit on Tuesday. He praised the many sustainable energy projects already in operation across the continent and said it was time to end the injustices holding Africa back. Now is the time to bring together African countries with developed countries, financial institutions and technological companies to create a true African Renewable Energy Alliance. 
And all of that requires addressing another injustice, an outdated, unfair, and dysfunctional global financial system. On average, African countries pay four times more borrowing than the United States and eight times more than the wealthiest European countries. The Nairobi Declaration urges world leaders to introduce a global carbon taxation regime, including taxes on fossil fuel trade, maritime transport and aviation, and even to consider a global transaction tax, the profits to be used for climate-related investments. Despite bearing the world's heaviest climate change burden, Africa is far from being a helpless victim and has the potential to be a powerful ally in the fight against global warming. Lots to talk about. Let's do that with Jennifer Morgan. She's Germany's Special Envoy for International Climate Action. She was in Nairobi representing Germany at the Climate Summit. Ms. Morgan, welcome to DW. Now, the final declaration proposes a global carbon tax regime to help fund climate action in vulnerable regions. That makes a lot of sense, but realistically, is that something we're likely to see implemented in the world's most polluting countries or even globally? Well, I think, first of all, just to step back, I think that this Africa Climate Summit was uh, a very welcome, very, uh, I would say, path-breaking new initiative by President Ruto from Kenya to position Africa really as the part of the solution to the problem, but also, of course, needing the financing uh, to do that uh, so that they can benefit from the jobs that come with, from renewable energy. And one idea that the Africa Union is now proposing is this global carbon tax. I think obviously every country, every group of countries can bring forward their proposals and it's clear, I mean, Europe, we do have an emissions trading system, so we do have a price on carbon, uh, but we need, the point is, we need to find innovative sources of financing. We need to reform the international financial institutions so that Africa now uh, can get the financing it needs to develop in a green and sustainable way. Many activists, not all of them were able to take part in the discussions at the summit, of course, have criticized the focus on carbon credits at the summit. Uh, they argue that it's basically a get-out-of-jail-free card for the world's biggest polluters, and they're not wrong, are they? Any kind of carbon offset programs are have to be incredibly carefully designed. We've seen recent studies that show that they can be misused. Uh, that there's fraud that occurs there, and that's not what Africa needs. Africa needs investment. Africa needs uh, technology uh, cooperation. Africa needs sustainable trade uh, agreements. And so I think while we understand Africa's desire or those countries to have more input, more financing, uh, Germany uh, is actually quite cautious, and the European Union actually uh, does not import or buy those types of carbon offset credits because... Uh, we want to make sure we have a very solid emissions trading system. So we need to find other mechanisms. This is Jennifer Morgan. She's Germany's Special Envoy for International Climate Action. Two years ago, Mexico's court ruled abortion was not a crime in one northern state and set off a slow chain of events to decriminalize the practice. Now, Mexico's Supreme Court has ruled that abortion is no longer a crime nationwide. While the decision does not grant every woman in Mexico immediate access to the procedure, activists are hailing it as a significant step forward. 
The unanimous ruling by Mexico's top court requires all federal public health services and institutions to offer abortions to anyone who requests it. In its judgment, the country's highest court declared... Federal criminal penalties for abortion unconstitutional as they violate the rights of women. Today, Mexican society, women, support networks, feminists are doing spectacular work in Mexico so that all women, if they so choose, have the right to an abortion in a safe way. The decision is receiving a mixed reaction on the streets of the Catholic-majority country. I believe that we should not take anyone's life. We're human beings, and I think abortion, it is not right. For example, when a woman is raped or when they don't want to have a child, I know that many people think, oh, well, why don't you give the child up for adoption? But they don't feel the pain that they went through to have it. And that's why I am in favor of abortion. The court decision extends a Latin American trend of widening access to the procedure, often referred to as a green wave, in reference to the green bandanas carried by women protesting for abortion rights in the region. The ruling in Mexico comes as the U.S. Supreme Court moved to overturn federally guaranteed abortion rights last year. We will continue to lobby. Let's remember what happened in the United States. After 40 years, the Supreme Court reversed its abortion decision, and we are not going to stop until Mexico guarantees the rights to life from the moment of conception. Before the ruling, abortion was only permitted in 12 of Mexico's 32 states. Now, the remaining 20 states that still criminalize abortion will have to abide by the court's ruling. Activists say they'll continue their lobbying to ensure all penalties are lifted at the state level as well. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary, also available at most podcast sites. Next, France 24. First, a press review on the probability that the next president of Mexico will be a woman, then a headline that Europe is experiencing the hottest summer in 120,000 years. As Russian natural gas stopped flowing to most of Europe, the U.S. began developing routes of liquid natural gas, or propane, tankers to fill the void. There are seven liquid natural gas terminals in the U.S., with 15 more being developed. 79% of American liquid natural gas comes from fracking, a technique banned in several European countries. France 24. Back to Mexico for this next story, but it's not on the abortion story. This is because Mexico's next president is likely to be a woman. This after the current president's party picked up Claudia Scheinbaum as their candidate in next year's elections. Historic movement that's garnering a lot of attention in the press, and Dipti is going to take us through it. 
Claudia Scheinbaum has been uh, picked as the left-leaning uh, government party's candidate in Mexico, hoping to replace uh, the current president in next year's elections. The opposition party has, uh, for its part, <laughs> selected Sergio Galvez as its candidate, meaning that uh, the next president of Mexico is most likely to be a woman if it comes from either of the main parties. It is a watershed moment, as the New York Times calls it, uh, for the world's largest Spanish-speaking country. Both women have impressive credentials as well. Scheinbaum is a physicist with a doctorate in environmental engineering, uh, while Galvez is an engineer with indigenous roots. She also rose from poverty to become a tech entrepreneur. Both uh, candidates also share similar um, political platforms. They're both socially progressive, expected to maintain anti-poverty campaigns in Mexico if elected, and both are in favor of decriminalizing abortion. Now, um, Scheinbaum is also uh, on the front page of La Jornada, which is a Mexican daily today. Uh, the paper quoting her speech to supporters yesterday as saying that the next president will be a woman and it will be her, she says. Uh, there was one notable absence uh, from her uh, speech, uh, and that is Marcelo Ebrad, the former uh, foreign minister. This is the focus of El País today. Um, the former foreign minister actually came second in in uh, those primaries, uh, and uh, he actually called out voting inconsistencies in the primary vote. He even called for a recount. Uh, the candidate hopefuls have actually agreed that if one from their party wins next year, the others will have a guaranteed spot in their government. Ebrad saying for his part he would not accept a consolation prize. So uh, the early beginning beginnings of Scheinbaum's uh, campaign has been somewhat marred by this internal discord. Remains to be seen, though, if it'll impact her campaign. That's in the press today. Well, on the environment for you now, uh, recurrent episodes of extreme heat uh, getting a lot of focus in the papers today. Yeah, Liberation grimly heralding what it calls the beginning of the climate collapse on its front page with an uh, unprecedented late summer heat wave in France. Fires, now torrential rains in Greece and, and Spain. Ex uh, Europe has experienced its hottest summer in uh, 120,000 years. That's on the front page of Liberation. Part of the future of European energy and how the continent powers itself is playing out in southwestern Louisiana's inhospitable bayous. The coast along the Gulf of Mexico is home to many of the U.S.'s plants that turn natural gas into liquefied gas, or LNG. It's become essential for Europeans ever since they stopped purchasing Russian gas. Because of the war in Ukraine, Europe has had to diversify its sources of energy. LNG has played a big part in helping with that diversification because there are only limited options when it comes to other sources of gas supplies. This plant is co-owned by French company Total Energy. The corporation has become the number one exporter of American LNG. The United States has played a big role when it comes to supplying liquefied natural gas to Europe, including France. To give you an idea, between 2021 and 2022, France doubled its total imports of LNG, but quadrupled its imports of American LNG. The gas is funneled through pipelines from Texas and Louisiana gas fields before it's cleaned up to retain only the methane. Liquefying gas is the only way to transport it overseas because there are no pipelines that connect North America to Europe. And as a liquid, it takes up 600 times less volume than in its gaseous form, 
and it can be loaded on tankers which cross the Atlantic in 15 days. This tanker contains about one day's worth of natural gas for all of France. This is where we load the liquefied gas onto the tankers using pipes like these, which are insulated. That's because we have to keep the LNG cold during the entire loading process and, of course, during the trip as well. There are seven terminals like this one in the United States, and there are plans for 15 more. After Russia invaded Ukraine, the Biden administration made it easier to approve construction permits for these types of plants. And that's something environmental activists are trying to stop. It's been marketed very well as a natural, clean, green fuel. But the truth is we're extracting carbon from the ground, releasing massive amounts of methane into the air with both the extraction and the the piping, the massive amounts of uh, energy required to freeze the gas into a liquid and transport it overseas, regasify it, pipe it to the end user. I don't think there's a long-term need for that if we're really serious about getting off of fossil fuels and of getting off of releasing carbon into the atmosphere. It will be years before these LNG plants are actually operational, and only a third of them will be used for gas that is sent to Europe. But James believes that fossil fuel companies are using the war in Ukraine as an opportunity to boost their industry. They want to continue building out petrochem and LNG facilities uh, to maximize profit and drive revenue. And so to keep pushing more gas for a, for a free Europe is just a lie. 79% of American natural gas comes from fracking, forcing fractures in rock layers by using sand, water and chemical products. It's a technique that is banned in several European countries. One thing is certain, the war in Ukraine has made the United States the number one exporter of LNG in the world, ahead of Qatar and Australia. But it remains to be seen whether this industry is compatible with the 2050 net zero emission target that both the US and Europe have committed to. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They are also available at most podcast sites. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or want to support this listener-funded program, like a listener in New York City did this week, Contact information is available at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations across the globe. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Chile will host a 50th anniversary of the U.S.-backed coup that took place September 11, 1973. Most Latin American and many global leaders will attend. Demonstrators took to the streets of Guatemala to prevent a coup led by the Attorney General and several judges against Bernardo Arevalo, the president-elect of the country. Colombian President Gustavo Petro says the right-wing opposition and wealthy Spanish businessmen are planning to overthrow him. Tens of thousands of protesters converged outside a French military base in Niger, 
Remnants of cluster bombs killed 37 civilians in Yemen last month, despite a truce being in effect since April. Radio Havana, Cuba. The Chilean foreign ministry has confirmed that presidents of Argentina, Colombia, Mexico and Uruguay will attend the commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the 1973 coup d'etat to be held on the 11th. The presidents who will accompany the Chilean president Gabriel Boris in the events are the Argentina's Alberto Fernandez, Colombia's Gustavo Petro, Mexican president Andres Manuel López Obrador and Uruguay's Luis Lacalle. The Prime Minister of Portugal, Antonio Costa, and the President of the Federal Council of Germany, Peter Chentzcher, have also confirmed their attendance. The former Presidents of Colombia, Ernesto Samper and Juan Manuel Santos, Laura Chinchilla of Costa Rica, José Mujica of Uruguay, and of the Government of Spain, Felipe González, will also be present. Monday, September the 11th, will mark 50 years since General Augusto Pinochet carried out a coup d'etat with the full support of the U.S. government. This against the government of President Salvador Allende, 1970-73, after which he imposed a 17-year military dictatorship that left more than 40,000 victims, including some 3,200 murdered opponents. Demonstrators marched over the weekend through several streets of Guatemala City to the National Palace of Culture, the headquarters of the Executive of Guatemala, this in defense of democracy and to prevent a coup d'etat. Civil society organizations, collective families, elders, children and students carried national flags, banners and to the rhythm of drums shouted, Here is the strength of the people. Consuelo, golpista. You are the terrorist, was the central slogan of the protest in reference to Attorney General Consuelo Porras, who was asked to resign along with other officials and judges. Demonstrators placed black ribbons in rejection of corruption and declared, quote, We are fed up with everything that those in power do. Another of the organizers before the beginning of the march said this is a cycle of protests that is just the beginning. The president-elect of the country, Bernardo Arevalo, revealed the day before an ongoing coup d'etat and called for unity to defeat, defeat the coup forces. Quote, those who intend to keep us submerged in corruption, impunity and poverty. The current deputy and former deputy warned that there were still four months to the inauguration in which the political mafias will try to consummate their strategy contrary to the popular will expressed at the ballot box. The Central Park of La Paz of Coban, capital city of the Alta Vera Paz Department, hosts a concentration called United for Democracy. Columbus President Gustavo Petro has revealed that the right-wing opposition and wealthy Spanish businessmen are planning ways to overthrow him. His statements were made during a meeting with victims of the armed conflict and signatories of the peace accords in the municipality of Carmen de Bolivar, where Petro recalled that Colombian history records episodes that led to decades of violence. Faced with the possibility that the Colombian extreme right seeks to structure a soft coup, Petro called on the social groups that contributed to his victory in 2022 to remain vigilant. The Colombian president said during an event in which he handed over land to peasant farmers, the peasants, the youth, the workers know what they have to do. 
Petru urged conservative conspirators to abandon their strategy, reminding them of the political costs of historical events such as the bombing of the peasant cooperatives and the assassination of presidential candidate Jorge Eliezer Gaetan in 1948. The Colombian president defended his agrarian reform program and stressed that the owners of unproductive large estates do not want to abide by the constitutional provisions that state that land should have a social function. On previous occasions, Petro has denounced the possibility of a soft coup against him, orchestrated by right-wing businessmen, politicians and journalists. Tens of thousands of protesters have converged outside a French military base in Niger, demanding its 1,500 soldiers leave, as France shows no sign it will comply after a coup d'etat removed the elected president. Outside the base, demonstrators slit the throat of a goat dressed in French skulls and carried coffins draped in French flags over the weekend as a line of soldiers looked on. Others carried signs demanding France to depart. Quote, we are ready to sacrifice ourselves today because we are proud, said one protester. They plundered our resources. We became aware. They're going to get out. It was the largest gathering since the July 26 coup, indicating support for the new military leadership was not waning. France has cordial relations with overthrown President Mohamed Bazoum. President Emmanuel Macron said on Friday he spoke to the deposed leader every day and, quote, the decisions we will take, whatever they will be, will be based upon exchanges with Bazoum. Anti-French sentiment rose further last week when France ignored a military order for its ambassador, Sylvain Ite, to leave promptly. Police have been instructed to expel him. The July coup, one of eight in Western Central Africa since 2020, has raised the question of foreign neocolonialism on the continent. Most affected is France, whose influence over its former colonies has waned in West Africa in recent years, as popular resistance has grown. French forces have been kicked out of neighbouring Mali and Burkina Faso since coups in those countries. Cluster bombs and unexploded ordnance used by the Saudi-led military coalition during its onslaught on Yemen took the lives of dozens of civilians last month. This according to the Yemen Executive Mine Action Center, YEMAC, Yemak. Yemak has confirmed that 37 civilians, including 12 children, were killed in August as a result of the explosion of controversial cluster musicians. The Yemeni center criticized the United Nations for the suspension of funding for minefield clearing operations in Yemen for the second straight month. The center added that the UN withdrew the financial support despite the availability of funding from the Yemen Humanitarian Fund, the YHF. Yemak said that it had contacted senior officials from the world body in the hopes of resolving the issue, but that its requests had gone unanswered. 108 Yemenis have been killed by landmines, cluster bombs and other fatal remnants of war since the UN broker truce came into effect in April. The centre also stressed the continuation of the current situation resulting in the maiming of a greater number of Yemenis, especially children. Saudi Arabia initiated a brutal war of aggression against Yemen in March of 2015, enlisting the assistance of some of its regional allies, including the United Arab Emirates, as well as massive shipments of advanced weaponry from the US and Western Europe. The Western governments further extended their political and logistical support to Riyadh in their failed bid to restore power in Yemen to the country's former Saudi-installed government. The war further led to the killing of tens of thousands of Yemenis and turned the entire nation into the scene of one of the world's worst humanitarian crises.
Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are never updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you can stream the English version noon on Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I'm recuperating from spinal surgery, I'm staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.